you know, a man with that haircut obviously is very capable of making terrible decisions, like... So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. The draft is upon us, so we're going to go and take a look at all of that and tell you who's going to pick who and whether it's good or bad. So hey, we got Connor here, we got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? Any crackdown in Cork? Uh, not too much. So the government raised its lockdown, so we're allowed to move in county, so we actually... Went. So one of the advantages of, of living in Cork has actually got a lot of nice things down in kind of the south and the west of the county. So we went down at the weekend to a place called Guggenbarra, which is like got hiking stuff and there it is. nice. It's got that picturesque stuff. house, doesn't it? That house that there's always pictures of. Uh, well, there's a famous church, the like church, sorry, the, the, original, the original, the yeah. original Finbar's church, which was that's like what I'm the guy of, yeah. who brought brought uh, stuff to Munster or something, I don't know. Something very important in Cork's history. I don't know, I wasn't really fully engaged with it. But uh, yeah, it's on the waterfront. It's it's, it's very, it is very picturesque. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but, uh, yeah. I, I, this, this particular lockdown easing has really reinforced the cleverness of choosing to live in this county. <laughs> uh, I think we've done pretty well on that front. Very nice, very nice. But yourself, it's, I know you're not driving, so you probably aren't seeing as much of the lovely rural Cork. No, 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 I'm getting out and about a bit. Uh, I think this weekend, uh, the most entertaining thing was probably the emergence of this uh, Super League in, in soccer slash football world, um, which has already spectacularly fallen apart over the last couple of days. Uh, basically an attempt to kind of create almost an NFL-type system within the, uh, the traditionally not very NFL-like football system. Um, where relegation and promotion are kind of a natural part of the whole idea of it being, uh, you know, fair, I suppose, to some extent. Uh, but yeah, that they're all flying, their their leg, the tail is between all of their legs, and they're all running away, and it's all very hilarious right now. As a bunch of billionaires have the the shit kicking out of them, basically. <laughs> very nice, very nice. So I was at the brothers' wedding on the weekend. Congratulations, Stone and Maria. Uh, they're now married and all that jazz. Uh, it was a very unusual experience. Uh, I can't think the last time I was actually served a meal in a restaurant. It was uh, <laughs> wow, it was great. Yeah. You know, they drop us over. Say, oh, would you like a top of your wine? Like uh, it was, it was phenomenal. It was great to great to have. Now it was obviously you've only got eight people, so like the the bride and groom and then the six guests. But it was uh, nice and it gave me hope for things that might come in the summer if uh, the government can get their figure out and get us all vaccinated. Hook it into yeah. my veins. Yeah. <laughs> Get me, get me a waiver and get me one of those Johnson and Johnsons, whichever ones are currently uh, the, the the unpopular ones. Um, but yeah, no, it should be good, and the weather's going nice, so we're going to get out for some mm. walks this weekend. So it'll be it'll be fun. I suppose we should swing into some of the news from around the league. A um, couple of transactions, as we mentioned, uh, as expected, news last week. Jadavian Clowney has signed with Cleveland. It's a one-year, eight million deal with a couple of incentives in there. Obviously they've released uh, Sheldon Richardson as well. They're hoping that this can help them. They've got run a lot of pieces on the defensive side um, but Clowney has not performed to his draft pedigree. He's still best known for a 
play from his second last year in college rather than anything from his NFL career. Very solid against the run, but just not the pass rusher everyone would expect with the number one overall pick. Uh, does he make a big impact for Cleveland? Yeah, well, like I think it, it's a fairly low risk deal. One year, eight million. Like, mm. uh, like they have some people they'll have to pay next off season. Like Baker Mayfield's coming up, but I think given that they have the space this season, I think it makes sense. I think losing Sheldon Richardson is not a trivial matter. He played pretty well for them. Yeah, um, he's kind of been up and down in the back end of his career, uh, relatively speaking. Um, but apparently, he was he was popular in the locker room, so this isn't something that's great. But people like Jadavian Clowney in the locker room as well, so I don't think it's a huge uh, miss there. Um, so look, we know Jadavian Clowney is an incredibly disruptive player. We obviously also know that his statistics haven't, like that, that people focus on, like Sachs in particular, haven't been quite where you want. But yeah, he's a unique talent. He does some things that no other player is capable of doing in the NFL. So if they believe that they can get the best out of him, they've been like tracking him for multiple years now, then there's a chance that he can continue to be a you know really important part of a defense that you know was kind of up and down last season. So overall, I kind of like, I'm not hugely excited by it, but I'm not, you know, hugely pessimistic about it either. It's just should be hopefully a solid enough deal for them if he can stay healthy, which I suppose is the biggest concern with him based on what happened last year. Yeah, like you say, it doesn't doesn't cost them too much if it doesn't go anywhere and they've already got plenty of talent on that defensive roster. Maybe the surrounding talent would help Clowney uh, get less of the focus of the defense and maybe perform a little bit better. Arizona sign running back uh, James Connor because they needed some uh, anti-speed slowness in the backfield um james connor who's obviously played for pittsburgh the last couple of years has been at best mediocre and at worst the worst running back in the league uh i don't know how he helps them this is a terrible signing although i presume he didn't cost very much because running backs don't seem to get paid anymore i think he's fine i really i mean yeah he's not the world's best running back but he's also not the worst running back in the league i think that's a bit of a He's fine. He's mediocre to occasionally has the odd good game. He'll add to the the Cardinals attacking. Uh, Con- Con- Connor coming after the cancer survivors. I don't know what that's all about. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been coasting on that story for too long. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, he was probably hamstrung by what did appear to be a pretty poor plan in Pittsburgh last year like their line wasn't fantastic but also they were just they, for, for some reason were trying to play finesse ball and James Conner is not a finesse running back he's not a speed running back I, to be honest I don't really know what he is but uh, I don't think the I don't think the offensive scheme helped him maybe Arizona will but I don't know I know you're not particularly high on Cliff Kingsbury Ronan like you think that possibly he's a bit of a throw everything at the wall and hope something sticks kind of guy and this might be more of that I think like at running back, you're usually looking for multiple players. Like like they only have Chase Edmonds right now, and he's really more of a utility back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it makes sense to get someone in, so you're not under pressure to draft someone high up, um, and you can kind of like take what comes to you basically in the draft. Uh, I would be surprised if it's Connor and Edmonds as the top two by the time week one comes along. But you know this is probably one of the better chances Connor has to to reestablish himself as a you know probably not an RB one, but at least someone who could be part of a, a starting committee. Yeah, uh, Atlanta signed special teams eggs Corderell Patterson, uh, basically known mostly for kick returns, not a huge amount of receiving value over recent years, but did have periods of time where he did um, okay on that. I think he had like 20 catches last year with the Bears or something along those lines. Um, not a big kind of high impact number, I would have said, but I suppose if they think they can get a bit of value at him, why not? 
Yeah, like uh, I just like because they had they obviously re-signed Young Wei Ku. Mm-hmm. Now they get Cordell Patterson. They're slowly putting together the ultimate special teams package. You know, <laughs> yeah. like Cordell Patterson catching those onside kicks and taking them to the house. That's what I'm looking forward to Atlanta this year. Oh, there won't be much else to look Entire offensive probably. strategy next year. Yeah, it's onside <laughs> kicks. And, like yeah. Cordell Patterson's thirty now. Like surely he's slowing. He's still as well. fast. He's still pretty fast. And like okay. he's he's got a good turn of pace. Like in terms of his uh, able to ability to change pace on a dime. Like I don't think that'll go away basically mm. uh, mostly yeah but the sean jackson's still fast these guys i think they're taking care of themselves pure speed mostly sticks up you know yeah and houston hit the uh lovely uh award i suppose of 30 free agent signings <laughs> uh they're really trying to turn over that shit over roster um with the signing of guard lane taylor um yeah look it is what it is they are a shit show um i would also add in expect this is a transaction that hasn't happened yet, but I expect by the time this goes out, it might have happened. Um, Antonio Brown's civil suit has been settled out of court, so expect to see the Bucks sign him uh, in the next few days, is my guess. Yeah, there wasn't a huge amount else there, so move on. Crime and punishment, what are they doing? Probably felonies. Uh, in this case, definitely. Former Kansas City Chiefs coach Britt Reid has been charged with felony DWI. Um, the report indicates he had a high alcohol level in his blood. If you remember, he was involved in a car accident uh, two days before the Super Bowl. Uh, he had had previous form with... Um, I think driving while drunk or something along those lines beforehand um, had been clean for a number of years or whatever the term dry that's on dry for a number of years but um, obviously might not have been and might have just been hiding it um, yeah hopefully he will get uh, what's coming to him because he caused a lot of injury one of which to a small child which is not very good um, hopefully it, like I don't know I presume that it was him and not that there were like drinks at the at the Chiefs uh, site at Arrowhead or anything but if there was I think there'd be a wider question being asked at that point as well about uh, what they know because obviously he is Britt Reed is uh, Coach Reed's son uh, and Seattle linebacker Alden Smith has been arrested for secondary battery charge he uh, handed himself in today I think comes after the day after he signed with Seattle uh, he has quite a history in the league of DUI and substance abuse going quite a distance back this is uh, presuming that it is all in correct in charging uh, presumably the end yeah I would imagine so like I think you know he came back uh, with the uh, Cowboys last year he was surprisingly effective I think he had like six sacks or something like that in kind of a part-time role mm-hmm. um, he obviously when uh, during his peak was a you know one of the best linebackers kind of seen as someone who could have been potentially a Hall of Famer uh, type uh, linebacker but all of his legal issues and um, some significant injury issues kind of took that away over the years um, he only had signed like a one million contract basically um, the, the vet min contract with Seattle but I imagine even given that, like a lot of that might end up being basically unpaid due to you know conditions in this contract. But yeah, yeah, like look, we'll we'll see what came out of this. We'll see the context. Apparently, there is video evidence of um, whatever this was involved here. We don't really know the details, but that there's video evidence and that's bad for him. Um, so yeah, I would be surprised if he's playing anywhere in the NFL uh, in the upcoming season, given this and his uh, history of of, of issues. Controversy corner. Uh, the NFL has announced a nine-week off-season program 
with only one week of that being mandatory. Uh, several teams have said that they are going to opt out completely and uh, players are expected to opt out for teams that don't kind of cancel it down. So essentially, we're not really having a traditional off-season at all. This may be the end of the old-school traditional off-seasons as they've been increasingly queried as to their value and whether or not it's just kind of setting people up for injuries. I know there's two schools of thought. Some people think that, you know, you can come in a little bit uh, tight or a little bit shaky in your opening games if you don't have a full off-season program. But realistically, these days, the majority of them are doing the work themselves, only getting kind of, you know, play installs and stuff like that on site that can be done digitally, as was shown this off-season. Do we think this is a sign of things to come? Well, I think the NFLPA and JC Treader, their president, definitely they definitely believe that the precedent set by last offseason with the status of OTAs and the mandatory minicap that comes at the, near the end of that process. It's only one week this week, but it's usually a bit longer in other years. And I think they basically want to eliminate uh, this, you know, pre-training camp period uh, coming around the draft uh, after the draft period just eliminate it completely and make it completely voluntary and also make it uh, completely off campus effectively um, with obviously players having the right if they wanted to use campus facilities uh, if they want to do personal workouts and stuff like that um, so this is kind of part of a much bigger battle over the future of the off season and the, the NFLPA given what happened last year and it didn't seem to be too disruptive has a reasonable argument to say that this doesn't really add that much more value except for maybe rookies for example um, so Look, uh, the teams won't want to do it. I think coaches, many of them already believe that they don't get enough time with these players to actually like train them up, um, especially like the younger players. Um, so there will definitely be resistance to it. But uh, uh, for now, expect them to at least have a bit of jarring about it while the COVID-19 gives them a, a reasonable reason to, to go out of it. I think 20 teams have already opted out of do, doing OTAs completely. So um, I think that's a fairly strong signal from the players um, that they're not really happy to kind of go back to the past um, on this uh, without a fight. Uh, I mean, yeah, especially with the, uh, the the addition of the extra game and such like, I mean, it's going to be disruptive all down the line. Um, I mean, it, it is odd sometimes that given how, I mean, there is a fair, was a fairly extensive preseason and yet still teams will come into week one of the season not having everything finalized. Um, I know, I mean, as a Pats fan, it was the most frustrating part of the year was the first two or three weeks because the Pats would lose games um, before they finally uh, figured out what they were doing. Um, so, I mean, it's it's obviously a system that doesn't work anymore. And with the NFL transitioning towards seemingly a different model for the season in terms of more games, et cetera, et cetera, I think there are going to be changes all down the line. And if the players don't want it, then, I mean, it's very hard to see anybody really fighting for the way things were. Yeah, the NFL has decided to show a quick turnaround since uh, gambling was legalized in the US, and they now have three betting partners this year in DraftKings, Caesars, and FanDuel. Um, this is obviously part of the development of the sport into the future. Um, they have expressed plans to, or um, revenue streams deriving from, engaging with in-game betting integrating mm. it into the tv show and stuff like that so i would imagine we'll see a increasing encroachment of this onto the coverage in the coming years but uh we've now officially got betting as part of it although i'm sure you know technically they still wouldn't want anyone who's involved in the organization doing it they just want the organization profiting from it yeah and like 
on this side of the Atlantic, we basically know what this ends up looking like. You know, yep. you can't watch a sports game without uh, ads for betting companies. Betting stuff kind of encroaches on the game sometimes. Certainly the sponsors are disproportionately betting companies right now in the Premier League, for example. Um, so yeah, it'll become normalized and it's becoming normalized very quickly over there like because the template already exists for how to do it and they're probably just copying their homework. Um, the deal announced here is basically the kind of deal you get if you have the app basically you'll be able to watch NFL highlights and stuff like that on these three companies apps that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here um, but I suppose just given like how uh, you know moralistic the NFL was about like gambling for so long and then a couple of years later after New York and similar places have, have legalized it, it's turned completely around it's just uh, you know uh, don't trust the morals of billionaires basically <laughs> uh, yeah I mean this is this is reckless and will cause I mean, gambling, especially sports gambling, is, is so addictive and you're only really going to encourage more problematic gambling going down the line. Um, so this is bad in that sense, but that's where the money is and there is an awful lot of there. As as Ronan said in you know, European soccer and stuff, that there's so much money coming out of these betting companies, replacing, say, other sources um, of commercial revenue that, that maybe aren't going to be, especially post-pandemic, are probably not going to be at the levels that the NFL want. Mm. It's not surprising that they're chasing every revenue stream they can find. Um, and it's not surprising that the revenue streams that they haven't already captured are the more morally uh, problematic ones. So <laughs> not great news, but not, un- not surprising uh, either. Yeah, and uh, finally on the controversy quarter, uh, Las Vegas Raiders Twitter account uh, tweeted out, I can breathe now. Uh this was, uh, this is the confusing part. So the question is either, it's either a tweet in reaction to a guilty verdict of the George Floyd uh, killer, or it was a pre-planned and completely forgotten about 420 tweet. <laughs> that would be so uh, Either way, Because uh, as, as of today, I believe the players are allowed to smoke marijuana without facing repercussions as part yeah, of the so UCBA. I, I, I think um, that's also true. But yes, yeah, so it because it, it was released on four twenty at four forty five local time. Okay. But uh but it was also like at the same time as the you know, jury came back on that case. Um Mike Davis has said that he is um it was his idea his idea um which, uh, which to be honest i don't know which one is more likely then uh, <laughs> you know a man with that haircut obviously is very capable of making terrible decisions like oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> presumably they're supposed to be uh you know a whole department whose job is to stop you know the owner saying incredibly dumb things um they can obviously be overruled but you know there's some level of distance between them and any decision being made in terms of social media but uh yeah yeah it's, I just, it's a very mark. It would be very Davis family type of move to to do this, regardless of the context. Hmm. Uh, as as I've seen commented under a few of these things, we've solved racism, according to some fired communications manager in the last week's <laughs> office. Um, yeah, not a not not a great look for them. Not a not a very uh, well thought out approach. Um, so a couple of other little bits of news from around the league. Um, quarterback Alex Smith has retired after 16 seasons. Uh, obviously, he was with Washington most recently, but also uh, had a good stint in Kansas City and started off in San Francisco. He was the number one pick overall in 2005, famously picked well ahead of um, Mr. Uh, Rogers. Mr. Rogers himself. Uh, he had a bit of a terrible string of a load of 
offensive coordinators in and out having to implement about five or six systems and if I remember a large piece of metal stuck in his shoulder from a surgery that he was asked to play through afterwards um, but moved to KC had some great success with Andy Reid there helped us get our first um, playoff win I believe in 20 something years at that point um, helped set the table uh, was the kind of the, 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 the senior quarterback over uh, Pat Mahomes in his first year, kind of getting him up to speed and everything. He then had a horrible leg injury in Washington, um, recovered, had his leg basically rebuilt and became comeback player of the year. And there's big pushes, obviously, to rename the comeback player of the year award after him, given what he came back from. But uh, overall, very good career. Not, not a Hall of Famer, not anything amazing, but a very good, competent career, very much seen by all as a very sound uh, guy very good in the locker room and I believe um, there's been a lot of uh, inquiries already about whether or not he might be considering coaching yeah I mean he's he's become basically the the kind of the stereotype of the solid reliable QB and it was just unfortunate for him that twice in his career just as he was beginning to to get a kind of a, a good playoff ready team around him a younger more dynamic quarterback came through the system first Kaepernick uh, and then Mahomes to take his job it would have perhaps been interesting to see in either of those situations how far he could have taken um, a team given that I mean it was never spectacular but he was reliable and in quarterbacking that is almost as important mm-hmm. um, I suppose so there there is a sense maybe a little bit of a missed opportunity in his career to never have had the the, the really deep uh, playoff run um, and to have always kind of been the guy who was pushed aside for the superstar uh, to come along. Um, but yeah, I mean, and in the end of his career, obviously the, the injury and the comeback will be, he'll be remembered for that for a long time. It was a great moment, um, even if we were all terrified what was going to happen to him yeah. uh, in the plays on his first game back. But uh, yeah, I remember him fondly, but yeah, as you say, I won't remember him as one of the, the, the greats or even won't remember a specific season of his as being, oh, that was his great season. Mm-hmm. He just had a, a, a number of good years, but never quite lived up to what he was expected. I'll always remember the game he played that got Tom Brady, The was it the Monday Night Football in KC, that got Tom Brady benched for the fourth quarter because they were kicking the shit out of him so much that then spurred New England on to win the Super Bowl that year <laughs> to pure fury. Yeah, that, um, was a good, that was a good Alex Smith game. Yeah. <laughs> But he's a good dude. That's the main thing. Good dude, made yeah, some good money, yeah. and uh, yeah, had a solid career. I think you know, lots of guys have after tough starts of their careers flamed out completely. Mm. He he's someone who people rave about in terms of his influence in the locker room and his work ethic. And so it's just a testament that if you if you do put it like if you put it uh, work down, then in the NFL, like uh, there's a, still a reasonable chance you'll be uh, rewarded for it. And uh, he ended up being fairly well rewarded over time. But yeah perhaps never quite had the opportunity to take one of those great teams that he happened to be on um, to a Super Bowl because, uh, yeah, unfortunately those young kids came and took his job. Oh, yeah. That's what they said. Like, he took, he had, uh, he's taken three three teams to uh, to the playoffs, which is yeah. uh, always a nice one to have on the CV. Um, another retirement, although we'll see, um, New England wide receiver Julian Edelman <laughs> retired after 12 seasons. Uh, he had some knee injuries at the end of his career, but he was part of a load of the dominant New England teams of the 2010s, has a very good record in the playoffs and in Super Bowls. Um, I'll, I'll end the conversation right now. He's not a Hall of Famer. I'm sorry. But um, who knows? Maybe if he wins another one when he unretires after week eight and goes and joins the Bucks, I'm 
calling it now. That's what's happening. New England have not just he's not just retired. New England have waived his rights, so he will be able if he decides to unretire like a Gronkowski, go wherever he wants, and I think that's what will happen. Well, I, I okay. So first things to say, obviously he's a, a great stalwart for the the Patriots down the, the years, and I remember him most fondly for the Super Bowl Fifty Three. Um, in that turgid game against the Rams when he was the only uh, receiver in the entire <laughs> game who was catching passes. Yeah. Um, he's, he, yeah, he was. Tom Brady and, and that Pat system always needed the reliable inside wide receiver, whether it be a Welker or an Amadola. And Edelman was possibly the best of them all, uh, at least in terms of kind of winning Super Bowls uh, and such like. Will he make the Hall of Fame? I think he might be considered. I mean, he does have a Super Bowl MVP, which is which is quite a thing to have on your... CV, yeah. especially for someone who's not a quarterback. Um, so, I mean, I think that will be talked about. He had multiple championship rings. The Super Bowl MVP was part of a, a successful team for a highly successful team for a number of years. I mean, I don't think he'll go kind of first ballot, but it could happen. It definitely could be something that is considered. Um, as to whether he'll end up with the books, I, I, I mean, I think his knees are pretty fucked, um, <laughs> from what I from what I understand. So it it's. It would be it would be reckless for him to come back uh, too quickly, but um, yeah, never say the never. But I, just I think the stretch. <laughs> yeah, I, just for the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. The Bucks we're, we're, back there next year. Yeah. We're also past like I think the the kind of glut of like no can't have to put them in the Hall of Fame type people like uh, Megatron and Randy Moss and stuff. Like the next set would be like Larry Fitzgerald's probably the only one that I would put in that category mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, and then there's not a huge, like Andre Johnson's still out there, Steve Smith, but like, I wouldn't, like he's probably in that kind of, maybe not in terms of how much talent he had and how many yards and, and career stats he has, no, but obviously he's just so essential to talking about that New England dynasty that that might get him over the edge at some point. Maybe, maybe. Like I said, I, th- I, think, I think there's a problem of like outside of the New England circle, sometimes those, you know, the reliable set of hands guy does seem to... And I know Edelman, like you said, was probably the best of them, but it is that kind of like, oh, was that Alan Toe? Was that Welker? Was that Edelman? Was mm-hmm. that... It, it It can sometimes feel a little bit... Particularly with like kind of big di- dynasty type teams that the focus will be on the one or two players, like obviously your Tom Brady's, like possibly some of the defensive players in the 2010s as well, that like it can be hard to be a big part of a massive machine that people will only see two or three of the other pieces as being what drove it and you just being maybe along for the ride. But I, I, I can see the argument. I'm just not sure his overall stats do it. But uh, sure, who knows? Who knows? Uh, I don't get to vote on those things because they don't recognize us as uh, journalistic enough to vote on it. Oh, well. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll have to survive. I suppose we'll move over and we'll have a look at our draft prospects for the upcoming draft. So, having a look at the draft this year, so there's lots of quarterbacks and lots of kind of offensive pieces, I suppose. Um, I have heard damning things about the defensive line and particular defensive tackles this uh, this draft, um, but they said there's a couple of very good corners, which is which is a plus. A couple of solid linebackers as well, but basically the D-line is not, not great. Uh, I've also heard it said about the offensive line that there's a lot of decent offensive linemen, but they all have bizarrely short arms. Um, these are the kinds of things that you hear, and you're like, oh, that sounds bad, and you don't really know why. Um, you know, we're, we're, traditionally, we're, we're not traditionally, draft people, traditionally. <laughs> <laughs> Traditionally, I believe shorter arms means that you're more likely to play guard, and guard is believed to be a lesser position, although mm. I, I don't necessarily 
buy that in today's NFL. Andy Reid doesn't, but I that that's why Andy Reid's got six guards and no tackles at the moment. Um, <laughs> he agrees. Yeah, he's going for a new formation. Um, so I suppose what we should probably do is uh, we'll go through position by position, a couple of the top prospects, and then we'll dive into our mocks, see who lands where, where we have a couple of trades and all that kind of stuff, um, if that works, yeah? Yep. Okay, we'll start off at quarterback, uh, need for a lot of teams, Jacks, Jets, New England, Chicago, San Fran, like loads of them. Um, we've got a kind of a big four, and it's now in recent times become a big five. Um, so we've got Trevor Lawrence from Clemson, Zach Wilson from BYU, Justin Field from Ohio State, Trey Lance from North Dakota State, and Mac Jones from Alabama. Um, so we'll kick off. We kind of pretty much know already... Trevor Lawrence is going to be the first overall pick to the Jags unless something bizarre happens. Uh, considered <laughs> it is the Jags. He's already like sending tweets out about like thank you Jacksonville and getting involved in like charities and jobs. <laughs> like it's it is like one hundred percent. There is zero possibility except that if he gets struck down between now and the draft, he's yeah. getting picked number one. Get hit by a car or something. Yeah. So basically, seen as most priority prospects, it's look really, really good. Very, very good games. Uh, his record's like eighty four and six. Like. Yeah, basically, there's there's very little to talk about him because we, anyone who's kind of locked in, we can almost just wait until we've gotten to the to the to the team preview. So like Trevor Lawrence, we'll cover him off whenever we do the Jacksonville preview. Um, really, really yeah. good top prospect since Luck, but I think we hear that most years that someone's the top one since Luck, right? Well, I think the big difference between him and like a Joe Burrow is that he has been coveted as a top. A prospect since high school he is you know has this ridiculous 84 to 6 record since high school effectively that's you know just show and, and at some of the biggest high schools and then obviously in clemson it's the top four program so that the pressure has been on this guy from day one to show are you good enough and he has he won the national championship um in year one in his in, in his uh in his first year as a college quarterback um he's made the playoffs every year since then and yeah he's just got elite playmaking both in terms of being a very good passer being able to make all the passes you want to do with the arm talent um but also being able to run when he needs to so yeah like similar to andrew luck he kind of has that ability to kind of play pretty much every anything you want i think ideally you probably want to put him into a play action system a college level system initially which he'll get because obviously they have urban meyer there um but there are like like incredibly small niggles that maybe he could be a bit better under pressure stuff like that but mm -hmm. you know by all accounts he will be given all the time he needs to you know reach the talent level that that people expect of him he's just a can't miss prospect he is the number one prospect in this uh draft class and yeah uh people are very excited in jacksonville to see what he can do yeah um zach wilson is where a lot of people seem to think number two is going um yeah like looked very good informational style of play uh does a lot of like moving to create a bit of space uh buying time kind of your uh alan or beaver mahomes style kind of play stuff um like again we're relatively certain this is locked into the number two pick right yeah i think this is more akin to kind of what we saw with burrow last year he had a really really good 2020 in his final year in college um and people got very very excited about him and yeah he kind of i think you know if you went back 10 years would people be excited about him probably not they kind of go oh he's a bit like kind of 
too college-like. But mm-hmm. with the success that we've seen from Mahomes, obviously it's the ultimate example. But even the development we've seen of Josh Allen in terms of these improvisation, improv, improviser-type quarterbacks, where they're able to make any play a success, even if the scheme breaks down that this is kind of what people are coveting right now and what they saw in 2020 is a guy who has all the talent in the world can make plays with his legs when he needs to um, and yeah, is perfectly able to play both inside the system but also outside that system as well so you know, he's kind of probably a testament to what people are looking for today as a kind of ideal college prospect uh, versus previous uh, times but uh, yeah, like I think the Jets are locked in them um, and uh, yeah, I think there's a bit more risk here because obviously it's a one year wonder type of thing but you know, we saw Joe succeed we've seen other one-year prospects uh, succeed and mm-hmm. yeah he'll give him lots of rope to try and do that in a what should be a fairly quarterback friendly scheme in jets this year yeah and now once we pass past this this is presumably the part that you've been looking at tightly yourself sean these are the ones that could go from three on downwards and there's a lot of movement in this area this will be where you'll have your new england's your san francisco's your kind of even your uh like uh, Denver Broncos and stuff like that, having a look around these. Uh, Justin Fields from Ohio State, a dual threat with incredibly fast 40 times strong arms, but questions about his ability to read the, the field. Trey Lance, North Dakota State, big gunslinger, can make a bit of moves, but like, you know, they, there's some concerns around him, but they say that he's crazy, crazy, crazy smart. Like there was a story doing the rounds about him remembering plays from an install from four months ago in an interview. So that would be good. But there is some questions over his throwing technique. And then finally, Mac Jones, who's went from barely like barely on a first round radar to suddenly skyrocketing up them after interest from a couple of people like Belichick and uh, the 49ers. Old school pocket passer, does his job pretty efficiently. Um, like doesn't have the speed stuff that some of the other guys do uh but like overall looks like a good solid prospect but maybe not as high a ceiling as some of the other ones so out of this bunch sean who would you be interested in what would you be worried or happy about if your guys were to pick up any of these um so yeah i mean it's it's odd that these three are kind of being talked about as a as a kind of a collection in that the teams are fighting over the order in which they'll be able to, to draft them. The, the Niners are thought to have moved up to number three to to have taken one of these three, but it's not quite known which one of these three it is, which is strange given there are three very different types of quarterbacks. Yeah. Justin Fields is a kind of dual threat in the sense of that the comparisons are to, to Russell Wilson um, and to, to Cam Newton. Uh, Mac Jones then is your, your old school pocket passer that, of the type of quarterback that really didn't People, you know, I didn't think they existed anymore, but apparently uh, they still make them. Um, the, 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 the good old white reliable uh, QB and then Trey Lance is kind of somewhere in between. So you are getting very different things with this. In terms of what teams may want for them and particularly, say, from my own perspective, what the Pats may want, I'd be most interested in, in seeing what happens to Justin Fields. Uh, and I think there is, if there is a plan for the Pats in terms of drafting a QB, I think Fields is who they're looking for because mm-hmm. they this re-signing of Cam gives them a kind of a, a year of, of kind of uh, mentoring this guy and, and bring him into the system and not putting too much pressure on him um, straight away. I mean, there are issues with, with how well that fits into the overall uh, Pats scheming, but obviously things are changing with the, the massive um, uh, free agency signings uh, and the such like. So Fields would be the one I think has the most I'm most excited about if the Pats get him. And I think, as we'll talk about, I think they might have to move up um, through trading to to 
get him before someone else steals him. He'd be the one I'd be most excited about. Mac Jones was a, was his a name that was associated with the Pats for a long time in the lead up uh, to the draft and was kind of expected that he would go under the radar, mm-hmm. uh, even though uh, he was a part of the Alabama system and obviously Alabama are a kind of one of the major college football powerhouses. There was kind of conversations about how good this guy is given he had an awful lot of talent around him and so his numbers at college level were kind of difficult to mm-hmm. judge because... I mean, you, you can't. And when a guy has a great receiving core around him uh, and is playing at a system that knows how to win, you can't judge him individually. Um, so it was expected that he would drop down, say, to, to where the Pats were at 15 and, and be picked up. But since then, the hype train has kind of t- taken over. I don't know if Belichick is playing some nine dimensional chess by talking up this <laughs> random, mediocre pocket passer and getting everyone to go mad for him and then making sure that the actual prospects drop further down the draft. Um, but whatever it is that the rumors now or that even the 49ers um, are looking at him. Uh, I mean, again, it, I think Mac Jones has the most uncertainty. It's not entirely sh- clear if he can transition into an NFL, which is moving very much away from the type um, of quarterbacking uh, that he's used to. And um, so he would kind of be at the other end of, I wouldn't be overly sure about how much this guy is actually going to turn up to be a star uh, at the NFL level. Then in terms of Trey Lance, I mean, there's there's less kind of, it kind of feels like he's falling, he didn't fall where, into the spot where the other teams um, kind of fighting um, don't pick him up. As you say, there's there's a lot of chat about how smart he is, and I mean, in, in the modern NFL where there's so much kind of quick decision making and there's such like, uh, that, that that's an upside. The one downside is, I, as I understand that he's, COVID has kind of ruined his college career, uh, in that last season, I don't know. I think this is the guy. The last season that he's he played the, one the, game. The, yeah, he won game because their entire schedule was wiped out, so they had to just play an exhibition game just to show off his stuff. Yeah. So it's no not not, not really clear how good he is. So he's the great uncertainty. Um, but um, if I'm Bill Belichick, I I think I'm going for Justin Fields, and mm. if I don't get Fields, uh, I maybe they've got some plan for Mac Jones. Um, it's hard to know. But all three are interesting prospects, but in very different ways, which is what makes all the kind of rumor-mongering about who's going to pick up who so strange. You would think the team would have a clearer sense of which quarterbacks they want, uh, and you wonder if there's a bit... bit uh, and I guess this speaks a little bit to the fact that we can never really tell who's going to be elite. I mean, even we talk about Trevor Lawrence being a high prospect, but the amount of first overall pick busts or... Alex Smith types who don't live up to the hype is there, so it's a risk all all around. Uh, Jameis Winston. Important to keep in mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it's it, littered with it. You you can you can list every year. You could take a random draft year, look at the quarterbacks drafted in the first round, and there'd be so many of these names of like, oh yeah, I forgot that guy existed, or oh yeah, that guy never lived up to the hype, or that mm-hmm. guy kind of uh, had it had a terrible didn't transition properly. Um, so they're all risks, all of them. Um, even Lawrence, um, but uh, the further down you get towards Fields, Lance, and Jones, there, there's a lot of uncertainty um, about how they'll adjust for sure. No, of course. Um, in terms of the kind of offensive weapon, the top end ones here, there's a couple of high end running backs Travis Etienne from Clemson and Najee Harris from Alabama are the big ones. Etienne, big three down running back, uh, very athletic. He's a little bit smaller than maybe you wanted, but has good pass catching has done a bit of pass protecting but not a lot and he's maybe not as fluid as you'd want um the g harry is just a big powerful dude um 
yeah, like can do the path catching, can do the protecting. He's maybe not as fast as some of the other ones. Like in terms of running backs, I'm not sure. I don't think not to uh, not to you know let the cat out of the bag. I don't think I have a running back going in the first round. No, I think like investing in a running back. All the analytics says it's not really worth picking a first round pick. I think. Like no one, no one is one running back away from like being a contender. I think is the tweet that came out. Yeah, uh, the, the same that came out a couple of days ago. Well, I, be- I, I believe that- I believe one of these guys had his like his team started putting around that like San Francisco had moved to the third overall pick to get him and was like, yeah, no, no, they did not. <laughs> like to be fair, like if if an elite prospect went to San Francisco, they would absolutely eat. But that's not that you can put pretty low guys in San Francisco and they will eat in that scheme. So look, like Travis Etienne. He's like it kind of depends what you want from these two guys. Um, like Travis Entian is like your home road hitter. Like if you're looking for like uh, Jamal Charles, maybe mm. not Deshaun McCoy because he doesn't have that like jitterbug type of thing by the line. He hits his holds well. He is willing to take contact. He's just a little bit undersized and can be stopped if he's in like a square situation on the goal line. Elite defenders will be able to stop him despite the fact that he does try and play through it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that limits like what you can do with him that some to some extent. But you know, if you're playing a scheme like say like Kansas City, I know they obviously aren't good because they picked one last year, but if you're looking for someone who, you know, that the running game is there to generate big plays as well, it's not there to grind out three, four yards in the scheme. Um, like 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 in the Shanahan type scheme, zone blocking scheme, then he looks at like he has been compared by some people to Alvin Kamara, but I think the big knock on him compared to Kamara is he just doesn't have that like crazy alien like uh, fluidity where he's able to just basically break tackles and get away with it he's kind of a bit choppy for that he doesn't really have that level of like um kind of juke you out kind of make something from nothing uh, type talent but if you're looking for someone who can take any good well-designed play to the house and who'll be willing to play hard um when the ones that don't work out um he's good whereas Najee Harris is more you're kind of like um, tree down gets solid production every single play um, also has some concerns over his um, pass protection which is a bit of a knock on these running backs that's often why they often underperform around in the field as much as you would like um, particularly if you're a fantasy player um, but look he's a big powerful back not like Derrick Henry levels but you know that kind of level below that um, and where he shows surprising wiggle I think the big uh, plus that he had this year in Alabama is that he showed really good hands, had a lot of uh, success in the in the passing game, and I think having that in his locker um, will probably make him a lot more interesting to teams than he would have been uh, based on prior years where he hadn't really shown off that skill set. I think the only other wild card to look out for who could go higher than expected, perhaps even over these two guys, is Javante Williams. He split the backfield with his uh, fellow uh, highly rated running back Michael Carter, but if you're looking for the prototypical back who can do everything, um, in, in theory, um, who like who reads the game really well, who's got all the power and the speed that you would want, then mm. he's probably the one who who you might put your eyes on. But because he shared the backfield with Michael Carter, who's very very highly rated as a pass catching back, he perhaps doesn't have that three down back profile people are looking for. But people think that he could be that if he was just given the opportunity. So Javante Williams is probably the the wild card that. Um, people are some people are really high on some people are less so just due to his uh, unusual situation in college not being the kind of man in that backfield yeah no of course the um the big kind of about this draft class is that there's similar to last year there's meant to be an awful 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 lot of very good um very good wide receivers in here so we're gonna bung in Kyle Pitts is a tight end but he's essentially a wide receiver let's be honest he's um he's in that kind of war Graham 
kind of Kelsey type type thing of. So we've got Pitts is probably the top prospect here, generational pass catching tight end, huge great great size and speed, great route running, excellent hands, absolutely dominated in the uh, in the college game. Not the best blocker, but like we said, you're essentially just getting a ginormous uh, wide receiver, a la Travis Kelsey type thing. And then your three top-end wide receivers are one LSU and two Alabama, Jamar Chase, um, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddle. I think it's Devontae Smith who came in and tested as being quite um, small. He's six foot and 166 pounds, so he's not exactly NFL thick as one might want. Um, but yeah, look, all are very good with slightly different things. Uh, Chase is very fast, will do catch contested balls. Devontae Smith, very good route running and can like, he's just very good at finding free space on routes. Um, and Jalen Model is kind of a big kind of speed type guy. Um, so Tony is on the tail end there and he's a yard after the catch. Um, one thing you will notice in this year's draft outside of Pitts, and I think is it Smith? They all tend to be a little bit undersized. Um, this is an awful. This isn't really your traditional six two two ten kind of draft of wide receivers. This is an awful lot of guys who are speed, guys who are finesse, guys who know their roots and are are going to beat with speed slash root running rather than physical size. Yeah, like the Kyle Pitts. People are incredibly excited about him. Many of the evaluators have him as like the second best prospect behind Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Like they're comparing him not to like other tight ends like Waller or Graham, but are often comparing him to people like Megatron as this kind of just elite, ridiculous, you know, size and speed combination that is just impossible um, to cover. Um, and you know, if you get someone like that, if you look at what Darren Waller's done with the Raiders recently, Jimmy Graham did early in his career. Like this is someone who's a level above those guys. Um, now he's not Gronkowski. He's probably the only other comparable Hall of Fame type uh, tight end besides uh, besides uh, Travis Kelsey. And he's not even Kelsey to that extent because Kelsey's a pretty good blocker. But this guy, if you have the right scheme, if you know what you're doing, them there is no reason not to believe that he will be an incredibly um, dangerous weapon at the NFL. I think that's just the only concern. Like I know, like you know, when Seattle traded for J- J- Jimmy Graham back in the day, they didn't know what to do with him. As long as people know what they're doing with him, knowing what to get in for, there's no reason that he can't be like an elite tight end. I suppose the only concern over him really isn't about him at all. It's just that in recent years the highly selected tight ends haven't really worked out. And that's why I'm kind of like you know, go in knowing what you want from him. Um so I think you know we have him going to Atlanta. Um, I think that'd be a great spot. I think, you know, we've seen that uh, Matt Ryan knows how to use his tight ends. Um, but yeah, you don't want him to go like somewhere like Seattle where he won't be used properly. Um, and I think, you know, even given the signing is a free agency, you know, I think wide receivers are a big need for uh, New England. But uh, yeah, so I think Sean probably has more interest in these other guys uh, at the wide receiver position. I, I, I honestly, I, I do think that the, the free agency has kind of, they're obviously aiming towards a kind of a tight end set and then some sort of um, a kind of mobile quarterback behind it. I mean, I would say that there is, I mean, the NFL is very clearly moving towards these kind of hybrid uh, players as, as the norm, that the kind of the fit, the mi- that mix of physicality and uh, power and speed that you get from the, the tight end wide receiver hybrids is, is kind of is what people want and is what the kind of the long term value is going to come from. 
So to hear that a number of these wide receivers are undersized, I mean, there obviously is. You, you just talked about Edelman, and, and we, we there you can think about Cole Beasley or any. There is room for the undersized wide receiver uh, in the NFL, but it's a very niche, very specific thing. It's the kind of thing where each team is only ever going to need one of these guys, and a mm. lot of teams aren't going to need him. So you would be wondering if these if these players are so undersized, no matter how good they are, um, how much actual interest there is going um, to be. Um, I, 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 it's quite possible that some of these players might fall uh, quite far down the list. I mean, I think Kyle Pitts will go top 10, obviously. But uh, aside from that, um, I mean, Smith has the name recognition, I suppose, which means someone might take a, take a, take a, a gamble on him. Um, but... Uh, it, it would not surprise me if these players fall further down the first round than, than might be expected based upon their, their raw talent. I, I would be surprised if Jamar Chase fell because he's he's pretty, he's like, he's not super size, like Megatron type uh, like size, but he is a perfectly sized wide receiver to succeed. And like he was the Batman to like Justin Jefferson's Robin in LSU in 2019. So like Justin Jefferson's just coming off his, you know, rookie of the year campaign at wide receiver. And this is the guy who was the wide receiver one with him in Joe Burrow's offense. So even though he's taken 29, he took 2020 out due to COVID, I think given what he put on tape in 2019, I would be shocked to see him go like, you know, at most like like top 12. Um, Devonta Smith has those size issues. I think, you know, it would be fair to say that there's a chance that will lead to him going down. I have him pegged as kind of an Alvin Kamara kind of special talent where despite some of the things not necessarily measuring up at the position, um, he just has that special skill set that someone is going to fall in love with. And yeah, Jalen Waddle, I think after what happened with Henry Ruggs last year and the speed demon not really working out, I think he showed in his brief, uh, relatively brief 2020 season before he got injured, um, he showed the kind of production that he's more than a Henry Ruggs as a kind of wide receiver one within the Alabama system. But given the injury profile, maybe he could fall a little bit. But yeah, I think Jamar Chase, I'd be very surprised to see him fall further than like 12 at the most, in my opinion. All right, offensive line. Um, there's a lot in here. We'll just maybe take the top two prospects. Uh, Penny Sewell from Oregon, big left tackle prospect, uh, expected to dominate, looks very good. He's a one-year player, so he's a little bit raw. Uh, they'll need a bit of training, but has everything you'd kind of want from the physical side of things and does have the mentality so that should be fine and then you're kind of everyone else is kind of tackle guard Landon Dickerson if you're looking for a center uh, Rashad Slater like pro ready offensive tackle very good work ethic like has excellent tape um, he I think is particularly well known for his work against Chase Young uh, two years ago would it be at this point yeah uh, but yeah, like um, he's not maybe as big. And again, like we said, a lot of these guys, there's some concerns over arm length. Although I do believe that a couple of like big right tackles and left tackles in the league have come out and said like, you know, that's my arm length. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like unless unless maybe what happens is they start with much longer arms and then the more that they get run into by defensive ends, their arms kind of like retract into their body a little bit. Um, your other names on this would be uh, Darisaw, Vera Tucker, people like that. But yeah, like there, there's a fairly, fairly deep O-line draft. But the question remains: How many of these will be tackle prospects, and how many of these will be kick inside to guard prospects? Yeah, and I think that's why Sewell, despite some of the issues, he opted out. He has very raw technique. I think there's like some questions maybe about is uh, like his, his discipline and stuff like that. Um, despite all of that, he's just got that raw 
prototypical left tackle like bully mentality bully physical skill set just moves the pocket when he is on there is no one who can get by him basically and of course you know like the, the left tackle like we saw with Trent Williams of free agency like having a left tackle that is so coveted that despite the, these you know concerns over his lack of experience um, and his raw technique he will almost certainly be the first tackle off the board and then with these other guys like Rashid Slater and Darasaw I think there's a chance that they'll play a tackle and there's several other guys prospects who are kind of tackle tackles yeah. in college but Leatherwood just, and people like that yeah they're not sure that they'll be able to play at tackle at the next level they'll probably be tried out and if it doesn't work out kick them inside um, so I think Sewell because of the position he plays will be the most coveted but these other guys like some people have Slater as the best like pro ready prospect for at the on the offensive line so it depends what you're looking for there like if you're trying to kind of make someone safe immediately or kind of build for the future um, yeah, yeah but uh yeah slater if you're looking for safety go for slater but if you're looking for upside you're going sewell and then you have a whole bunch of other kind of solid offensive linemen who have a decent shot to get into the first round people like darasaw and tucker and maybe dickerson but uh, there's even more beyond at the tackle slash guard spot as well yeah and like we said earlier the defensive side of this ball is not as good particularly at the line so we'll look at kind of our edge rushers and our defensive tackles there's no one major here that jumps out um some of your bigger names here uh pass rusher style would be like Jalen phillips and quiddy pay um on the defensive tackle end uh levi Oboruzike. is that it okay <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah. uh yeah, I knew I knew as soon as I started that was going wrong. Um <laughs> Christian Barrymore and, and, and Nixon. Um maybe he'll yeah. fall down my draft board now purely because <laughs> of that. So like like the edge class, I expect some of these guys will get picked in the first round. Just because of the value of the position, yeah. like it's gonna have to. Like Jalen Phillips is a very exciting prospect, but there's some issues with his injury issues and he maybe hasn't been as consistent as you would like. Quiddy Pay is like, you know, Oh, like every like you know he looks great on paper like you want him to work out but he doesn't really have the uh tape to kind of suggest that he'd be able to do that on day one Rousseau opted out last year but was very good in 2019 I think he had like 16 sacks six and a half sacks um but now I think today uh, he was like there was some clap back between him and uh and Ian Rappaport because he like some random scout said oh you you know you're not sure what this guy was what's up with him and then you have like you have basically a lot of solid guys like Jason Oway and Joe Tryon as well mm -hmm. uh, but it's just not a class that has a Chase Young type player they're just all kind of they all have question marks over them and that goes doubly for the defensive tackle where the only one I think who has any chance of going in the first round is probably Christian Barmore um who has a more kind of uh, complete skill set yeah, um, yeah. like Levi Ruzuke, um, he has a you know very specific undersized interior passer skill set. Barmore is probably the only kind of you know this is a guy who can play in any scheme type of situation. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's not really the kind of standout guys you'd hope for if you're looking for first round like genuine like top of the uh, first round talents. Some of these guys will be picked in the back after first round in the edge, but uh, other than that, no one to get too excited about. Yeah, it's a better it's a better draft if you're looking for a linebacker or you're looking for some DBs. Um, we've got a couple of elite prospects here. So um, Mike Parsons from Penn State is prototypical coverage linebacker, uh, very good speed. Lead to a bit of coaching to try and get some of his reading and stuff. So you maybe wouldn't expect him to be stepping in and being your play caller on defense, but should be able to step in fairly quickly. And uh, Jeremiah Owuzi Koroma. 
big physical dude, big playmaking upside, can play multiple positions. Um, yeah, like, you know, if you want a guy who's going to hit to hurt, this might be your hit to hurt kind of one, a Notre Dame player. Um, on the defensive back end, there's a lot of names here, but the top two are probably Patrick Certain, the second or two, and uh, JC Thorne. So, lockdown corner and then your physical man corner. So, like, there's loads of options at these positions although what you do tend to find is these are very specific to scheme so sometimes there'll be an elite prospect who maybe doesn't fit your team's defense and you can't you know even though they're more talented they don't actually fit so that would be something uh, for particularly newer uh, newer listeners or newer watchers of the game just to bear in mind that someone might seem really good but they might not be the right for your defensive scheme you know yeah, and like Mika Parsons, probably the yeah the exciting, like la- like coverage linebacker prospect. Um, people are really high in him. I'm I'm a little bit concerned, like because he you know all the people kind of like most of the feedback from scouts is that he has all the tools that he needs to be a elite linebacker, but doesn't play well in traffic. And for me, if I'm looking for like the next Bobby Wagner, um, that's the kind of stuff that I needed to be good at to make sure that they can get get stuff done. So you might see him be kicked out to like a. You know, an out, like an outside linebacker in a four-three scheme initially, and like Jeremiah Uzu Kamore, like he he's undersized, like a little bit. He's more of kind of a, I suppose, a hybrid like linebacker safety prospect at the next level in terms of just his size. But he shows up on tape. This is a guy who always gets to the ball, always makes big plays. Is someone that I think you know, football people like kind of get really excited about. Um, in terms of his playmaking ability. Um, there's a number of other kind of decent linebacker safety kind of guys like Jimin Davis, Savin Collins, and Trevin Moreg are probably the highlights, but uh, none of them have that kind of, uh, you know, out of the box, let's get them going there. Like Trevin Moreg is probably the best safety prospect, and even then is probably still mostly like a back in the first round. And then, yeah, defensive back, Sertain is probably the most pro-ready quarterback. He comes from a NFL family. His father was a player and a coach at the NFL level. He has all the size and speed that you're looking for. Um, uh, but I, like an issue with all the college guys right now is that they're they're all a bit handsy. They're all getting a few more flags than they get. But if you're looking for a day one starter who you can trust, Patrick Sertain is the best one, best option. But JC Horn is probably the probably the upside pick again here. Like he's got all the physical tools that you want to be a shutdown corner. Um, once again, has a bit of issues with grabbiness and maybe doesn't play completely fluid, but he has played against all of the elite wide receiver prospects at the college level, and he has shown incredible growth as he went through his college career and getting better and shutting them down. Um, so I think either of these guys, you should go solid. And once you go beyond that, there's like Greg Newsom the second. Um, it should be very good as well. Caleb Farley is a kind of a younger prospect, but has all the physical tools you want. And Asante Samuel is perhaps if you're looking for a more aggressive kind of tackling type playmaker who kind of makes life difficult for people, uh, you know, in pass catching yards after the catch situations. But there's some decent depth at the cornerback, so don't be surprised if some guys we don't talk about here end up sneaking into the back end of the first round either. Yeah, and as we just said, like, because we always have to throw something to special teamers. Um, Max Duffy, good name. Uh, <laughs> decent punter, comes from Mozzie Rolls background, might do well. Josie Borgales, might... Uh, <laughs> Josie, I think it's probably Jose. But anyway. I know it's probably Jose, but we're going to claim him as Irish. Josie. Um, <laughs> Joseph Borgales. Josie. Um, but no, uh, yeah, like that'll do. As I think... What people really want to know is uh, who we have their teams drafting. So uh, we'll move on to our actual mock draft now, I suppose. 
So we decided as time was running kind of late at this point that we chopped this into two uh, podcasts. So obviously this one has our preview and the next one will have our mock draft and who we think everyone's taking. Uh, you know, no one wants to sit and listen to us for two hours, so we thought it's better to make this two podcasts. So for myself and Ron from Sean, this has been All Four Quarters. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week.